As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Happy New Year. Let's start it with some headlines and questioning the Boston Red Sox business decisions. I think that's like the right way to ring in 2024. Jack, RM Just Baseball Show on Tuesday, January 2nd. Hope you enjoyed the college football. Hope you nursed the hangover in an appropriate way. Um, I'm obsessed with Penix. I don't know if you saw, I tweeted, Michael Penix is a 90 mile an hour ceremonial first pitch candidate. Like that dude can get up there and just throw buzz. But uh, great day of football on New Year's Day. And now we get to talk baseball and the Boston Red Sox. The Cincinnati Reds made a fascinating signing that I kind of fell in love with. The Blue Jays look like they're going to try and strike between the margins, but they're two fun guys, I think. Um, and we've got an update on an all-star on a guy that we thought was going to win five batting titles in his career, and he may never play another game. So we'll uh, we'll do that to the best of our abilities without – uh, inserting any opinion is that fair yeah yeah i think the objective opinion is uh if what he did or what he, what he was accused of was is actually true it's bad uh, very 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 bad and, yes it's, it's yeah like, and um, i'm not a legal expert and yeah so that you're coming to the wrong place if you want like a wander franco like case breakdown but we'd also be like we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we just pretended it didn't exist as much as I'll be fully honest. I'd love to just pretend it's not happening and just ignore it. Like you can't either yeah. uh, because you have to acknowledge these horrible things too. And I, I've seen a level of frustration from baseball fans that it hasn't been covered a ton by a lot of the bigger names, but I think you, you also have to realize that you do have to wait and get the details and charges have to be filed. And also it's not even a, legal proceeding in our 
country. So there's a lot of different things that we're not used to that we might not be as familiar with. And it's just one of those things where you got to let it kind of play out a little bit longer. But the good news, if there is such thing as good news, is if there's finally something moving forward here. And we're finally getting a little bit of clarity before it was just like, hey, we can't find Wander and we don't know if there's charges being filed and we don't know what the deal is. So at least now there's there's a process starting to you know kind of push forward here and you know we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, that'll be the second to last thing we do. Uh, last thing we do will be play GM for the Miami Marlins, who are uh, going to be interesting. And I know that you're very excited to uh, do y- your hometown team, your childhood favorite, and hmm. um, you're going to make them contenders this year. And you're going to oh, yeah. roll over 200 mil, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say the one thing Peter Bendix must be thrilled that he doesn't have to deal with that situation now and Ugh. and go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but I, I do think – it's going to be fun to unpack the the Rays or the Marlins situation. I almost call them the Rays now because they're, I think they're going to try to behave like such. So I, I, that'll be a, an interesting conversation to have um, about where I think they're going based on uh, as much as I've been able to dig in as possible. Yeah. Um, hey, you recently just taught me about the Florida Keys before we get into the baseball thing. And it's one highway in the middle of the ocean. Is there like, is there land? Like, are there shell gasoline stations? Are there yeah. like restaurants and yeah. shit on the side? Or at some points, is it like bridge with cars and water on both sides? Yeah. So it's, else? you go from each key, like there's sometimes like a gap between each key and each key is like a little bit wider, has a little bit of space on it. And that's where you get like enough room for uh, I'd say some some houses on each side maybe a, a road or two in those shell gasoline stations whatever it may be but then in between each key it's legit one lane in the middle of the ocean and it's the coolest thing in the world because you look to your left look to your right and it's just endless ocean and you're just cruising down uh cars coming one way the other way you're going one way the other way so two lanes technically um it's a nightmare if there's an accident so i always leave like early in the morning but i grew up going down there fishing trips with my dad so it was good to uh get down there for the new year and just just take it easy that's so cool damn yeah we've got if you map it it's like crazy like how close you are to cuba like i want to go so bad i haven't been i've never been before but you can literally see on the maps like it's insanely close when you're at the bottom of the keys. Yeah, Cuba. Cuba is not. It's not number one on my list. Number one on my list right now is go to a game in the Tokyo Dome. Like that is that's, that's number up one there on the bucket me. list. I have to do that. Uh, but Cuba is up there too for me. I I knocked but, off the Dominican, which was awesome in the Dominican Winter League again. Like I talked about it all the time in December. But if you have the opportunity to go down for the Dominican Winter League, just do it. You will not yep. regret it. Baseball in its purest form. Um, yep. All right. Sweeping question. What are the Red Sox doing, Aram? <laughs> Speaking of the Rays, you know, I think we've got another Rays-esque team over here. Now, it's interesting, man. Um, it's funny because you and I were joking when I, when we were when I was t- talking about the keys. You're talking about what you're doing for the weekend. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to try my best to like just not really be that dialed in. And I thought I did a pretty good job. You know, I was just drinking some beers on the boat, relaxing, fully not pulling the phone out as much as possible. And then that that Chris Sale trade goes down yeah. and and you get Sale going to, to the Braves, which is insane in its own right. And then, of course, the the breakdown financially, which I know you're going to have, and, and just the entire exchange there that, look, in a vacuum, I don't think it's a bad trade. I actually think it makes sense for both parties. Yes. But 
we don't analyze major franchises in a vacuum, especially the Boston fucking Red Sox. And this trade, I think, reinforces everything that has been reported about the Red Sox this year. And that is that they are going to only make moves when they clear up some money and that they're operating like a, a I wouldn't say small market team because their, their payroll still quite high, uh, but they're operating like a, a careful team, uh, a team that is very focused on finances. And uh, that's unfamiliar territory for one of the most historic franchises, one of the most well-supported franchises in our sport uh, for the last hundred years. So the way that I kind of view them is that they're operating like the Houston Astros when they should instead be operating like the Mets, the Yankees, well, the Mets recently, the Yankees and the Dodgers. I think the Cubs should be operating like the Yankees and the Dodgers as well and the Red Sox most years. But it seems like the Cubs recently have have been operating like the Astros, too. And listen, the Astros are if you if you take the last decade they are the gold standard in baseball they are the best team in baseball the astros and the dodgers but the astros have the championships to show for it um and it's a ton of homegrown talent they really haven't forked over a ton of money for anybody they haven't paid Kyle Tucker they paid Altuve but they're going to pay Altuve again um i i, I just wish that <sighs> I don't want to say I didn't I, – I wish that money didn't get this big, but like we are in a new frontier in baseball where the best players in baseball are going to sign deals where they're making over $30 million a year. Five years ago, some of the best players in baseball were making under $30 million a year. Think about when Bryce Harper signed his contract. Harper ain't making 30 a year. It was big money. It was over a long yeah. period of time. Now you yeah. got to pony up and pay a guy 35. Like Cody Bellinger is going to sign a $30 million AAV deal – and you have to be okay with it. And we talked about it this past week when we were in the holiday limbo. Like, this is the new age of baseball contracts. It doesn't mean that Bellinger is better than Harper was at the time. It just means that Bellinger hit the market at the right time. And he was born in the right year because he's this age when he hits the market. The Red Sox are clearly not up with the times. And they need to know that, like, you got to pass the CBT to be a World Series contender. And the last 100 years of Red Sox baseball, they weren't that good in the 50s. I take that back. The last 70 years of Red Sox baseball have been gold standard baseball. They didn't have yeah. the championships to show for it. But, dude, like all we're asking is the Red Sox treat themselves like they should be the gold standard. And, yeah. and it's clear that they are not treating themselves like they should be the gold standard. I don't even think you need to pass a CBT. I I, I don't. I, I look if you have some bad contracts, yes, then you have to pass a CBT to to compensate for that and weather the storm. But if you look at like what their financial obligations are going into 2025, it's you know Rafi Devers at 27 and a half. Talk about a great value deal. Great deal. Uh, based on you know what what he's capable of doing and and what he has done versus what they were able to leverage in pre-arb. Trevor Story at 22 and a half. Look, I hated that contract from the second the ink dried. But at the end of the day, 22 and a half. Like you're not going to, that's not going to decimate you if you're a larger market team. Think about it. You willingly just paid Lucas Giolito 19 a year uh, over the next two years. So factor him potentially into 2025 there at 19 million. Masataka Yoshida at 18 million. Garrett Whitlock at five. That's it. That's, that's it. All, that's it. That's everything that they have assigned so far for 2025. So that's where it's, it's kind of shocking to me is, you know, and I know it's a new GM. You have Craig Breslow involved here and, and, 
I think this is also a little bit more telling of, hey, Heim Bloom definitely made some mistakes and I, I think did some good things as well. I mean, we look at the farm system, the way he's been able to grow it. Some of the between the margins trades were good, but also Heim Bloom had his hands tied, you know, pretty significantly as well. And, and now we're seeing Breslow have to operate within, you know, similar constraints. The difference is if, is if your hands are tied, you shouldn't be throwing, you know, the money that you threw at, at, at a Trevor story. Heck, I love Yoshida. You shouldn't be throwing the money that you're throwing at a Yoshida when, you know, that is kind of the, the one or two big tickets that you're, you're able to spend right now um, at, with just the, the new Red Sox. But I, I'm frustrated by the, the fact that they don't have that much locked up, you know, long-term financial commitments. They are the Boston Red Sox, but it seems like the Fenway sports group's more focused on, you know, getting a new forward for Liverpool than uh, actually getting some middle of the order masters or more importantly, how about getting some good pitching? Um, that Giolito is also a, a terrible fit as well. I, I think Breslow's betting on, you know, what was he was able to do infrastructure wise with the Cubs, uh, pitching development wise, and, and maybe that I'll, I'll give him time before I fully, fully judge the Giolito thing here. Because as much as I feel like it, not much is going to change at this point, Craig Breslow's very, very much more, a, uh, I would say, more knowledgeable and and almost more knowledgeable than anybody in terms of pitching development based on what he's been able to do the last few years. So we'll, we'll let that one play out. But Giolito, a guy that has really struggled with not only keeping balls in the yard, but just, just deep fly balls. I mean, he's a fly ball pitcher. His home run to fly ball rate was, was egregious over the last couple of years. Now you're going to put him in, you know, Fenway park where I know it's not as specifically home run dependent, but you're going to get a lot of 0.01 XBA, you know, expected batting average fly balls hitting the monster that turn into doubles and it still is more home runs than the average ballpark. So it, it is not the best spot for Giolito. He must be very sold on, on what they're going to be able to do in terms of, you know, optimizing his pitch mix and hopefully getting him back to, to where he was before a couple of years ago. Yeah. We are going to look at, at both deals in a vacuum in a moment, but I do want to wrap up kind of the macro conversation about the Boston Red Sox. And I love that you brought up Fenway sports group, not in, you know, the facetious way, just like, in the way of them operating like a big company that wants to own several major entities. And what they're doing is a good business move. They're diversifying their portfolio of assets. They are doing a good job in that front and they're getting big in Europe. And apparently they're looking at, you know, some like a cricket team in Asia or something or some sport in Asia right now. I, I saw that report. I don't have it in front of me, but um a couple of things you asked our our partnerships coordinator Colby Olson who god love him um is you know willing to stand by the Red Sox through thick and thin and this is the thick right now is this the thick thick is bad thin is good right uh yeah yeah so i believe so this is this is the thick of the Boston Red Sox and you asked Colby last question the Red Sox are doing what in pursuit of what it's like putting together a thesis statement mm-hmm. and I, I replied and I said, shedding payroll to buy a cricket team in Mumbai. And like, I wasn't entirely joking here. Um, and, and I followed up with wins for the Red Sox and wins for Fenway Sports Group have become very different things in the last yes. couple of years, which is so weird because the name is literally the fucking ballpark that the Red Sox. Yes, that's the funniest part by far. Also, can you remind me, what, what did Colby reply to that? <laughs> it, it took about 72 hours. And then he said, Happy New Year, gents. Uh, on January 1st at about 2 p- two a.m. Eastern. Yeah, that was it. That was the reply. <laughs> so I, I think that's that's 
you know, a little bit telling here in terms of he's not alone. No one knows. Just Colby is a dream for the Fenway sports group because he still will stand by them no matter what they do. Um, and, and I, I, that's the thing. The Red Sox have some of the best fans in the sport in all of sports. They have a bunch of Colby Olsons, right? People that just give them, throw them a little bone and they will be there. They will watch. They will be supportive. Show that you are trying in some way. Signing Lucas Giolito ain't doing that when you legitimately trade. And I'm excited to get the whole breakdown and talk about this. But when you trade Chris Sale basically to allocate funds to Lucas Giolito and you know, bring in Von Grissom, like it, that doesn't say we're trying to win. If you look at it again in a vacuum, that probably makes a little bit of sense, right? Giolito can give you more innings than Chris Sale has been able to give you. You're hoping to buy low on Chris Sale. You go get an infielder that can help you in Von Grissom, who's going to be a lot better than some of the other options that they have in the fold there. Maybe you try him at shortstop a little bit. I doubt it because now Story's healthy, but he could be a great second baseman. They also just needed a, a bat. So I get it from that respect, but it just it's just one of those things where it's hard to sell uh, fans that are very – very much in Boston, I think, expecting a team to compete or at least try to win a championship every single year. It's hard to convince me that the Red Sox are trying to win a championship. And when you look at what they've been doing the last two years, right, finishing last, finishing last, not totally tearing it down because I, I understand they would never do that. But yeah. they're just signing up for purgatory at this point. I know Breslow is probably feeling things out. But I think ownership's already restricting Breslow, and I think there's a reason why not a lot of people wanted this Red Sox job. And I think Breslow probably saw it as a fun challenge. Uh, he probably realized, hey, I'm not going to get a, a GM job at, in, in anytime soon in in Chicago. That's it's pretty locked up there. Uh, my my pecking order where I'm at is is going to be the same here. Here's an opportunity for me to do more of the same. Right, the Cubs haven't been giving me a blank check, and I've been doing good things. I'll do the same in Boston. And, you know, really solidify myself as one of the best execs in the sport. Maybe he does that. But I think Breslow, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes home at night and he's like, oh, man, it's a little bit more restrictive than I thought it was going to be. And that's where I'm interested to see how they maneuver here. Because, yes, Heim built the farm system up a little bit. It, it is stronger. But they still don't have any pitching. Uh, when you guys traded uh, Wilcomen Gonzalez uh, for, what was it, Max Kepler? Uh, like that work. shouldn't be a trade that matters at all. You did that in the playing GM episode. Yep. Like you shouldn't be thinking twice about, about Wilkelman Gonzalez. Like it's just not, he's, he's a fine prospect, but it, I was like, no, you can't move that guy. He's like, you're your only other pitching prospect. Like that, that can't be the case. Like it just can't be the case. Richard Fitz, who they got in, you know, in the Verdugo swap from their most arch rival Yankees is one of their best pitching prospects. Like they have a lot that they need to rebuild infrastructure wise. So, if you're not going to tear it down and you're not going to spend at the top either, what are you doing? And I think we're all waiting to find out. I don't know. Um, real quick, Breslow's vacated job has been filled. And I want to shout out Jason Kanzler, who is the Cubs' new director of player development. Um, Dan Otero, or Ryan Otero, pardon, was promoted to the team's new director of pitching after Jared Banner had worked as the VP of player development. He got promoted to an, to an AGM role that in turn created an opening opening as the VP of player development. And Jason Kanzler took it 33 year old Kanzler retired from playing professional baseball in 2015. I met him in 2018 when he was like an assistant coach, the assistant hitting coach for the Brewster white caps in Cape Cod. And he was clearly a different thinker at the time. And he wasn't 30 yet. And this guy has spent a couple years 
with the Astros and their coaching staff. He was in Corpus Christi for a year, I think. And then he went to the big club and he was in the dugout there. And now he's the VP of player development at a, you know, top three brand in, in major league baseball. He is awesome. Cubs fans should be elated. He thinks about the game in such a unique way, in a new school way. He has every tool in his toolbox you could possibly ask for. And he's got the the mentality, he's got the mindset to sift through and find the right thing for the right player. Not every pitcher is going to be on the driveline program. He knows driveline. Like, that's his thing. He has become a sponge, and I'm so excited to see the steps that the Cubs take with him as the VP of player development. Nice. That was my quick like plug on Jason Kanzler. Like but, um, yeah, like it, it was, you know, it wasn't just like shedding – get 10 and a half mil because they are paying the Braves 17 mil for for taking on Chris Sale but it was shedding 10 and a half with Sale and then it was decreasing the ARB number ever so slightly by effectively swapping Alex Verdugo for Tyler O'Neill and then it was DFAing Luis Arias so you don't have to pay him in arbitration like there are a lot of moves that are slowly bringing down the payroll step by step on the ladder but let's start with that Sale trade and then we'll do the Giolito signing um the, the details of the sale trade are Chris Sale and $17 million go to Atlanta in return for Vaughn Grissom. So that deal effectively for Atlanta is they owe Chris Sale $10.5 million in 2024. Then they have a club option at 20 that they can pick up or send Sale into the open market at 36 years old. They gave yep. up a, a really good prospect. If he still had prospect eligibility, Vaughn Grissom is... Top 30? Yeah, it's a great question, honestly. He's he's obviously a top 100 prospect. I don't even know. Um, he was <laughs> it's so been, it's good. Been a little bit. I, I feel like I almost didn't watch the guy for a minute last year because of, you know, why am I going to tune into a, a blocked AAA player? But he's definitely he's definitely in that range. You know, he's he's, he's obviously a comfortably, comfortably a top 100 guy. From the Braves' perspective, you extended Arcia. Orlando Arcia was the shortstop for the National League. He was the starter this year. You can figure out the shortstop position. It'd be great if they had Dansby Swanson, but they don't. Um, I thought this was a great deal. They moved a guy that was blocked. There was no path to playing time in 2024 if there were no injuries. And in turn, they get a guy that can punch out 11 per nine. And, and they get a guy that was not too long ago on a Hall of Fame track. And I think it was an inarguable Hall of Fame track. Like that guy's stretch in Chicago was literally on par with Pedro when it came to 10 strikeout games. This guy was auto-freaking-matic and a consistent top-five pitcher in baseball. They're betting on health with Sale. $10.5 million is a great price to bet on health, I think. That's exactly what I was going to say because, you know, would you rather have Chris Sale at $10.5 million or would you rather have Frankie Montes that we're going to talk about at $16 million? Well, Luis Severino got, what, 13, 13. 14? Um Gibson at 11. Yeah. Uh, Lance Lynn around what, 12, 10. 10? Like uh, they're all in that range, right? Who would you rather have all of those guys for either the same or slightly more or actually significantly more or Chris sale, though, older than, than most of them. Uh, not, not obviously some of the, the Cardinals guys, but older than some of the younger bounce back guys, Severino and Montes and, but also way more of a track record. Also, you could argue better numbers than than both of them in, in a shorter spurt last year, 102 innings. He still struck out 11 per nine. Also uh, yeah, left-handed. Was, like that's sneaky a thing. Oh, also yeah. a lefty. They needed another lefty. 
Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I hated the idea of Chris Sale being the potential ace or co-ace of a Red Sox team that you know wants to win ball games in 2024. Yeah. I love Chris Sale, the basically three or four starter for uh the Braves who are are hoping to win a World Series in 2024, right? Like that that, that is totally different to me. And in a market that we've just, you know, described so frequently as just bonkers, where you got to shell out $16 million a year for a bounce back candidate of of Chris Sale's caliber to get him at 10 is is one thing. Then the other side of it is if this guy does bounce back, which is very possible, you have an option for 20 million in 2025 that, you know, I, I I think if this trade ends up being successful, you're probably picking that up, right? If he's anywhere sub four with good strikeout numbers, they're probably considering it. Even if they turn it down, like I get it, but it, at least they have that option, which is interesting. There's a lot of escalators in the contract, but there's also a lot of deferrals and, and I don't know where it all shakes out exact dollar value wise, you know, what they have to pay now versus later with the deferrals. But regardless, it's $10 million for Chris sale. Yes. You have to add a Von Grissom, which does make it more quote unquote expensive uh, than what these other franchises are giving up because Von Grissom's worth more than $6 million. Uh, if you're trying to put a price tag on, you know, the value of, of, of a prospect or a young player like Grissom. But I do think that the interesting side of it is it's probably not worth that, that, that much more. And if, if he's not, I mean, this is an absolute heist of a deal for the Reds or for the Braves compared to, you know, what other teams are paying for one year deals. That said, I don't hate it for the Red Sox. If we had more clarity on what the heck they're doing. Yes. Um, going to flip to that in a moment. I will say if sale is good and they pick it up for 20, Guess who they're likely not paying? The other lefty in that yep. rotation. This is a walk year for Max Fried. This is his fourth year arbitration. He was a super two guy. So if you decide not to pay Max Fried and Fried gets $200 million next free agent cycle, and shit, man, he could. He could get 250 next free agent cycle if he's good this year and durable. If they don't pay Fried, they've got a frontline lefty if this thing goes right. Now, if it doesn't go right, they could pony up and pay Fried. I, I think they have a, equipped themselves with the right weapons to attack in 24 and beyond. On the Red Sox side, my first question is, how much of a white flag is this on Marcelo Meyer that they went and got Vaughn Grissom? I don't think it is. I think it's more of a, this is the best player that we're going to get. You know, How many other teams are willing to trade a big league ready bat? Uh, that can play in multiple infield spots. I don't know. I don't know if they like him as an everyday shortstop. Uh, but you know, I think it's it's more of a, hey, Meyer's not ready. Uh, he's probably not going to be ready even next year with the shoulder issue, with the struggles that kind of coincided with the shoulder issue. I think they figure Meyer's a twenty twenty five guy. Let's see what we've got with Grissom here, and and go from there. I do think it's more indicative of the fact that it's not a slam dunk with Marcel Amai, right? It's not one of those situations where you're just trying to clear the runway for him at shortstop. You know, I think they're hoping that Meyer makes that the case this year, yeah. but you're not going to pass on the opportunity to go get an infielder who's a big league ready bat, who's already shown that he can hit a little bit in the big leagues uh, in a trade like this. Like there's no way that you're going to stop yourself from doing that because, you know, Meyer's not going to be the everyday shortstop this coming season. And, and I think he's got a, 
prove that he can one be healthy and two uh, that he can cut down on the whiff for for them to be confident about that. You know, going into probably twenty twenty five, which is when I think he'll ultimately debut. I think there are no concerns about Von Grissom's whiff. This guy, what was one hundred and two games? He had a one thirty five WRC plus. He walked twelve percent of the time. He punched out 14% of the time. This guy in Gwinnett, like this is not the PCL, slashed 330, 419, 501 in AAA. It was clear that like he was just better than AAA competition. And that's what happens when you're forced into a big league situation and then you're back down waiting for your next big league shot. Vaughn Grissom's 2023 was very similar to that of Jared Kelnick the last couple of years where Kelnick would struggle in the big leagues, go down, annihilate AAA pitching. Joe Adele, same thing. We know how talented the dude is. He was like AAA MVP like the last three years. But then he yeah. gets up and, he, and he's just not that good. The difference between Grissom and the other two guys, Kelnick and Adele, is Kelnick and Adele had ample opportunity. Grissom has yet to have ample opportunity. He was shoved in when Ozzy Albies was hurt. In 2022. And guess what? He was amazing in 2022 for the role that they asked him to play. There was just no role there in 23. So I don't think there's much unknown. I think you get a guy that is going to be at least serviceable in any situation you put him in. Not to mention you've got him for six years. Yep. This was this was best case scenario, I thought, for Boston in a vacuum. Again, in a vacuum. In a vacuum, I, I it's a great get. For the Red Sox. And that side of it is is exciting. You know, again, no, I don't think any other team out there is going to give you a player of Grissom's caliber because how many teams are are in a position to be able to part with the Grissom? I, well, I could think of one. It's the Orioles who, again, you know, where what are you doing? You know, yeah. here's another opportunity for a high upside you know, bounce back arm. And, you know, you could have traded a Joey Ortiz, but who cares? I if we're just we're going to keep beating a dead horse there by right, talking about Baltimore. But I think the really interesting thing is I've seen a lot of people that are like just out on Grissom. I'm like, oh, he could be a quad A guy, whatever. No. It, that is such a, a short-sighted It's It's lazy. I think it's, it's lazy. lazy because you're fully disregarding, one, the fact that this guy was his age 22 season last year. Two, yeah. the fact that he was so talented and polished that the Braves were in a pinch. And they said, hell, let's bring this guy up from – Double A, and not only double A, he had only played 22 games there. He was 21 years old in 2022, played 74 games in high A, where he posted a 146 WRC plus, walking as much as he struck out. They bump him up to double in those 22 games in double A in the Southern League, striking out just 14% of the time, hit 363 in the in, in that stretch. And then they bring him up to the big leagues and in 41 games. Yes, some good batted ball luck. I don't really care. He's 21 and skipped triple A and pretty much skipped double A too. Put up a 121 WRC plus. So he's trying to focus on defense. He's trying to prove that he can be a shortstop. He doesn't quite make the defensive strides that an Orlando Arcia did, who, who, you know, is a vet and is a very solid defender. So he's a little bit blocked. His playing time sporadic, and he doesn't put up great numbers in 23 big league games when he was up and down. But again, as you mentioned, absolutely tore through triple A in his age 22 season almost any other prospect in his position would have still been going through the minor league ranks and he would have been putting up video game numbers and he would have been considered, as you mentioned earlier, one of the top prospects in the game. So it's, it's just funny how the psychology of it, right? The way that we approach it, uh, I think sometimes can just be so selective and selectively applied. And if a guy's fast tracked, sometimes we count that against him. Yep. I think we're going to see people do the same with, with AJ Smith Shaver of the yes. Braves. 
pitcher who, you know, if he had the traditional single A, double A, triple A, and, and spent time in each, he would have carved through every level, which he was doing, and be considered one of the best pitching prospects in the game. Instead, they bring him up to the big leagues way too quickly. He struggles a little bit. Then he goes back to AAA, starts working on on adjusting some of his, his sequencing and yep. pitch mix, which is going to result in maybe some higher you know ERA numbers from time to time. And then people just pretend that he's not 20, 21, 20 years old. Right. And he's younger you know, than Waldron. He's a quad A guy. No, the fact that he's even giving getting a chance is a testament to how good he is and what the Braves, a very smart organization, think of, of this player. I think Grissom's the same thing. So it, the, the biggest question is going to be, what kind of value does he give you with the glove? I'm eager to find out. Uh, but you know the bat's going to play, and and he could be a, you know top of the order bat for them. Yeah, AJ Smith Shaver just turned 21 years old. Hurston Waldrop is about to turn 22 years old. So shows you where those guys are in, in different in the same organization, but but kind of in different buckets in terms of perception. Last thing on this deal, and then Giolito, and then we fly through some other headlines. It is Spencer Strider, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, Chris Sale, Bryce Elder with the contingency plans of A.J. Smith-Shaver, Hurston Waldrop, Waskari Noah, who's still 25 years old, Dylan Dodd, Darius Vines. That starting pitching situation is a top blank in baseball. Ah, gosh. It's up there. I'd say top three. For sure, 10. You think three? Top five? I, I got to like go through each every, every every other rotation. Yeah. I would say top five. I'd say top five. That's my gut reaction is five. Yeah. That's so good, man. I'm excited. All right. Giolito in a moment. First, quick break. Now the Giolito deal, and then I, I promise we'll get off the Red Sox thing. Lucas Giolito, two years, $38.5 million. I, I think an interesting note here is um, he is not the only free agent that the Red Sox have been in contact with, but Chris Cotillo, Mass Live, said the team informed a free agent that they have to, quote, shed more payroll before they can pursue him, quote, as aggressively as they want to. This was pretty aggressive for Giolito at 19 a year. And my initial takeaway was, um, you know, I saw the MLB trade rumors breakdown, and I love what MLB trade rumors does. The the opening line was um, the Red Sox are taking a flyer on Lucas Giolito. And I was like, when did $40 million become a flyer? But the answer might be the 2023-24 offseason yep. is when that became a flyer. Like we just – we saw the Red Sox fork over 16 for Frankie Montes as truly a flyer. Um, Giolito – I think is less of a flyer than Frankie Montas is because you know that you're going to get innings from him. And I, what I think they're doing right now is in a rotation where so many guys have been so unavailable the last couple of years, they're paying for availability. They're certainly getting availability from Giolito. The yeah. effectiveness within that availability, I really doubt as somebody that's kept very close tabs on him the last several years. The amount of middle-middle change-ups I've seen in the last two seasons have been absurd. And the pitches that I think that I can hit have been absurd. Uh, I know that there's underlying metrics, and I, I know that there's value in 180 innings. But this guy's just like he's not the guy I would pay 19 a year in a multi-year deal. That's my just only takeaway on this. He gave up 41 homers last year? Yeah, dude, like it was bombs away. 
Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people understand how bombs away it was at points. And there were starts where he looked strong. There were starts where he could get through six. But I know other White Sox fans can can back me up on this. Like there were starts where it felt like it was over in the first inning. Oh, Lucas doesn't have it. Like this might get ugly. And for yeah. some starts, it got really ugly. Yeah, it's funny. He he struck out 10 or more twice. And one of those teams was the Red Sox. So Maybe he didn't know he was auditioning they on, what they saw. <laughs> on June 23rd. I know it wasn't Breslow, but no, it, it's interesting. I, look, you get those flashes, right? He struck out the, one of his last starts of the year. That was in September. He punches out 12 and seven shutty uh, against the Rangers. You know, so it's like sometimes it's confusing, but that's kind of the case with changeup guys. So I, that's the thing is like, okay, yeah, changeup guys are going to have their starts there where, where they have it. But the thing is, is you can't walk as many guys as Giolito does when you're not going to miss as many bats as Giolito does and you're going to give up as many home runs as Giolito does. Like walks combined with home runs are catastrophic, right? If you're going to give up a lot of bombs, don't walk anybody. And that that's what I'm interested to see, how they adjust him, you know, where things can go. He's 29. There's some good underlying data to, to the pitch mix and things like that. But yeah, for a team that's pinching pennies to a degree, um, you know, I just don't know if that's the direction I'd go. But again, if they're if they're struggling and and he's throwing all right, seems like they shouldn't have too much of a, a of a challenge in terms of moving this this contract and potentially trying to cash in on him. Yeah, um, Lucas Giolito had as many outings allowing seven or more earned runs as he did scoreless outings in 2023. He had four scoreless outings, and then he had two outings where he allowed nine earned runs in a combined six and two thirds innings, he went three and two thirds allowed eight earned on July 18th in New York. And then he went four innings, 12 hits, seven earned in Pittsburgh in April. So it's Jekyll and Hyde and you're paying for both. And I guess you, you like the, the Jekyll part, but I mean, I just, I can't see it, man. Like that, honestly, that's my only thing. I just can't see ample success at Fenway park. And I know that you hit on that in a moment, but if Giolito is a guy that prevents you from pursuing Teoscar Hernandez or prevents you from pursuing Jordan Montgomery, you got to look in the mirror. Yeah. And I think they were already preventing themselves. And I think that's why Lucas Giolito is already a Red Sox. Yeah. Damn. All right. Cincinnati Reds signed Frankie Montas to a one-year $16 million deal. I love that every single article that I saw, like every newser on this deal mentioned that Frankie Montas is a Boris client because <laughs> <laughs> Boris might've just doubled Frankie's value by whipping out some of those weird puns that he likes going to <laughs> um, 16 mil for a guy that is super talented when healthy, but he hasn't been healthy in the last year and a half. I mean, like the Yankees got nothing from Frankie Montas. And when I say nothing, I'm not being hyperbolic. They got Almost nothing. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I wonder how many innings he threw in a Yankee uniform. Um, and, and I'll find that in a moment. But 16 mil for that guy for so much unknown feels steep. Having said that, I would be kicking myself a lot more if it was a team that wasn't the Reds that did it. The Reds have now provided themselves the opportunity to try this because they have so many safety blankets. Like this is on top of Nick Martinez signing with the Cincinnati Reds this offseason. And they've got Green and they've got Lodolo and they got Abbott and Ashcraft. They have so many options. And for a team that was must-see TV for a couple months there offensively, they were dreadful in the starting pitching department. 
and they have addressed that in droves this winter. Yeah, I would say it was probably extremely encouraging, as, as silly as it sounds. We, we only got, in terms of 2023, because he was out the entire season pretty much with a shoulder issue, yeah. uh, we only got four innings, uh, and three of those were in AAA. But the fact that at the end of the year, we saw him on the mound and saw him throwing the ball in the mid-90s, I think was super important for a Reds team that you know is taking a chance, but at least it's not, hey, we haven't seen him throw since 22 which, you know, the last time he threw was, I believe, in a playoff game against the Astros in in October uh, of 2022. But when you look at maybe like where where he kind of lines up now, I think you have at least a little bit more confidence in the fact that he was able to just get on the bump and throw and, yeah. and just be just be a guy that can still run it up to 95, 96 and say, OK, let's take a shot on that. But at the same time, like we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what kind of workload he can handle, and and I don't think the Reds have an idea either. Sixteen million is a lot, but again, we're talking about it like that's the new flyer. Montes has as much upside, I think, as any of these flyer type arms. What's interesting is he's actually older than Giolito, which feels almost backwards, being that Montes will be thirty-one years old by the time the season starts. Yeah. So that part of it is is a little concerning. You wonder, like, is 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 he really going to be able to get that much healthier? Like, what's that going to look like? But even if Montes gives you 150, 150 innings, I think yeah. you feel pretty good about it. At 16 million, though, I generally say, like, I want 120, 120 innings. But at 16 mil, like, you kind of want 150. Like, it's definitely a little bit more than they should have paid. But I, I I ask you this, I guess. Severino got what? 13 or 14? 13. I don't have 13. Would you rather have Luis Severino at 13 or Frankie Montes at 16? I'd rather pay Frankie Montas considering that there hasn't been bad in the last couple of years. Like Sevi, there's been bad with him. 2023, it was like, oh my gosh, Sevi's cooked. Um, and I don't think he is. But Frankie Montas, I don't think we've had the opportunity to declare him cooked at any point. I think we've just had the opportunity to declare him invisible. And yeah. that's pretty much what happened with the New York Yankees. Frankie Montas, uh, what was it? Yeah, 41 innings with the Yankees at a 615 mm -hmm. ERA. That's just what they got from him. Um, it wasn't good, but like clearly you learned that he was hurt. Sevy, he has been given the bill of clean health, and he still hasn't been good for the Yankees mm -hmm. in, in the last uh, in recent memory. So I would rather pay Montes three more mil than I would Luis Severino. And I bet that was Boris's pitch. It's hey, if this guy who's been like flat out bad in recent memory got 13, you got to give my guy who hasn't been bad. A little bit more than that, and, and I think yeah. that was probably the approach. And and I'm happy to see the Reds spending. I, I am. Yes. My concern is this. You know, Montes was a reliever in, in the beginning, right? We we saw him mostly, you know, working out of the pen in, in 2017. Well, we first came up with the White Sox in 2015, and you know, it was kind of swingman role, just yeah. filling in. 2017, he's a reliever, really struggles. 2018, 65 innings as you know, kind of a swingman, just. Pitched a little bit more as a starter at the end of the year. 2019, 96 innings. 2020, 53 innings. We finally see Montes just have this breakout at 28 years old in 2021, where he throws to a 337 ERA. That's great. I think that he that guy's in there. My concern is that's the one year we've seen Montes throw a lot of innings. Yeah. He tries to follow that up in 2022. Of course, the year he was traded to the Yankees. And throws 144 innings, but with injuries scattered in between. And then, of course, us not seeing him in all of 2023. My concern is we saw him ramped up once. 
And also they did not ramp him up very like smoothly. We yeah. saw him ramped up once and the result was an injury plague 2022 and no 2023. I, I know that I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't have MRIs. Obviously they, they would have went and, and done a, a physical and, and looked and liked enough of what they saw, but just that buildup of, Hey, most innings I've ever thrown. Hey, haven't been the same since. And it's not like, oh, he threw 180 innings after throwing 140, 150, 160. He threw 187 innings after throwing 53, which came after a year of his career high, high at 96 yeah. uh, at the big league level. And I know that you can add in some minor league innings too, but it's still going to be essentially almost double you know, what he's ever thrown. That part is concerning to me. But it, you know, if, if we can remove the injury speculation and assume that the Reds you know, have medicals and have way more information than I have other than uh, chrono- chronological fucking innings numbers right uh, then then you can look at it and say okay if this guy gives you a low force and is is a solid arm for you you are thrilled with that if you're the reds because you didn't have to trade prospects for an arm you didn't have to go sign someone for 150 200 million dollars and he could give you some good value and i still think they're going to go make another move i think this is the supplement move to maybe one more more impactful arm that they're going to get now, what I what I will say, I don't know if they have another starting pitching move in here. I think India makes a ton of sense to just flip for a starting pitcher and add to that. But I think they already have a six-man rotation right now. And I ask you, like, what's the feasibility of them going six to protect Frankie Montas, to protect Hunter Green, who's dealt with some Knicks, to protect Nick Lodolo, who's clearly, like, injury-prone at this point? As of right now, they can run out a six-man rotation of Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft, Montes, Abbott, Nick Martinez, and I'm not accounting for Connor Phillips or Lion Richardson or hell, like Levi Stout was starting games for them. I don't think yeah. Stout is in that conversation with those other guys. But I just named you eight viable big yeah. league starters. I think they can get creative with like getting 120 good innings out of Frankie Montes and it's still being worth it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a great point. One, they probably don't need to get an arm. I, I keep forgetting that they got Nick Martinez, who is actually the yeah. perfect guy for them. Because if Martinez perfect. isn't throwing well in the rotation and you've got guys that are really healthy, just bullpen. put him in the bullpen. Yeah. But I, I honestly think he's going to be a, a fine four or five starter for them. But you, you you alluded to it. Green, you don't know if he can how many innings he can throw, and you're going to preserve him. You, you extended him. Lodolo, we know, has just been often injured. Abbott is going to have some sort of innings restriction, just yeah. just naturally. I think they're going to push it more than most young arms, but he's going to have some sort of restriction. So going with the six man, especially in the beginning, I think makes a lot of sense. And that's why I think with with where they're at now, maybe it makes more sense. Just you, you were never going to get a starter for India, trade India for a reliever, and and you know that that could be kind of what helps you bolster that that entire pitching staff. But yeah, I think they're in a really good spot. If if Montes does not pan out, it sucks financially. But you have a bunch of other volatile arms, and I think they just added one more high risk, high reward arm in here and said, if three of them pan out, you know, if they don't need all of Lodolo, Montes, I would I would throw Ashcraft in there yeah. and and Green. They don't need all of them to pitch healthy into the best of their ability. But if two or three do, they're in the hunt. And, you know, and I think that's what they're hoping by just adding another similar type of player, maybe a little bit more, I think, risk, obviously, yeah. uh, but a similar type of player into the fold uh, on top of Connor Phillips, who could also be a rotation piece for them. We just talked about, you know, him on the call up as a guy that has middle rotation upside. It's just, yeah, you know, will, will he command the stuff enough? But that's definitely another option. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and I think every team in Major League Baseball has a contract that they could look at by July and be like, oh, that sucks. But hey, that's not new for the Reds. Like they just paid Joey Votto 25 mil last year. And I know that a team leader at all that guy was not like performing to a $25 million standard. So everybody's got bad money. This is an opportunity for bad money. I don't think they're going to look at it at the end of the year. A couple quick things and then the Marlins to wrap. Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet said the Blue Jays are showing, quote, strong interest in Jock Peterson. And Enrique Rojas of ESPN said the Blue Jays have, quote, taken the lead in the bidding for Yariel Rodriguez, that Cuban right-hander that was pitching in the NPB. He didn't go back to Japan. We kind of talked about that. Um, that comes after signing Isaiah Kiner-Falefa for two years, $15 million, and Kevin Kiermeyer for one year, 10 and a half. I don't like the first two. The second two... I'm starting to really perk up. Like, obviously, Bellinger was best-case scenario. I don't think they're in the bidding for Cody Bellinger. But if they run out an outfield, a four-man outfield slash DH of Varsho, Springer, Kiermeyer, and Jock Peterson, it's way better than the situation they had last year, way better than the situation they had coming into this season. And Yariel Rodriguez providing the... I somewhat like plan B if Manoa doesn't work out and fortifying that rotation fully. I think these two, if they do convert on these two would be huge ads for Toronto. And I kind of changed my tune on them. I was getting negative. Well, I got negative because I assume that, you know, never assume, right. I, that's, yeah. I guess this is an ass a, out of you and me. I said, just made an ass out of myself. Um, I, I figured the signing of Kiermaier implied, no way we go get a jock. And I specifically named jock when, when I was ripping the Kiermaier move is like, that's a guy that I would much rather you go get. But if they see it as, okay, Danny Jansen's not our DH, right? Okay. He's our backup catcher. Or he's going to take over for Kirk. If Kirk just continues to just be a bowling ball back there. It, it, I feel like that makes sense then, right? Okay. He's the DH and he's probably rotating with Springer. They're going to want to keep Springer healthy. So Springer's probably going to DH, you know, I'd say, 30, 40 games. Who knows? I'm to totally speculating. He should DH at least 20, 30 games as they try to preserve him and, and keep him healthy. Jock, not a great defender. You probably want him mostly DHing, but you don't care if he's out there for 30, 40, maybe even 50 games. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense if they're willing to do that. And in, in turn, yes, of course, I like Varsho more in center, but a defensive outfield of Varsho, Kiermaier, and then Springer, and then occasionally, you know, Jock Peterson, that's that's more than fine. So I like it from that lens. If they do actually go out and do that, and if you look at the bench and, and you know, the minor leagues, that Spencer Horwitz is the only left-handed bat they have on the bench. And, you know, you figure Kevin Biggio, that's probably not a name that they want in the fold as much. I'd imagine that they're actually going to end up playing Espinal or, or some of these other options in the infield more than Biggio. So it gives them another left-handed bat, which they would only really had two and, and maybe one on the bench. I could see them ultimately moving Biggio. On the Yario Rodriguez front, I think he gives them something that they need really badly, which is a high leverage reliever. Yeah. It was good to go get Swanson. I think he can be you know a really, really good high leverage reliever for them. Romano, I love as a reliever. I don't love him as a closer. And I just think they need more closer capable relievers. Yeah. And now add another one here with Rodriguez. The flip side though, what you alluded to is I think Rodriguez is capable of being an opener and giving you three, four innings if you're in you know disaster mode in your rotation. And give, having an opener that can give you th turn a lineup over once is huge every when you are in disaster one. mode. Every team needs Usmero Petit. Every single fucking team needs Usmero Petit. I'm not going to stop saying it until <laughs> the day that I perish. And he yeah. is just a better version of Usmero Petit.
Yeah. And I mean, Rodriguez did it out of the bullpen. He'll run it up to, to 99 uh, with good life. He's got a disgusting slider. And we saw him in the WBC for Cuba, you know, be stretched out to four innings. Um, and and so I think that's kind of the role. And I, I think it's a perfect fit for him because he'll be utilized well. Don't sleep on Rodriguez. I guarantee there's a lot of teams interested in him. Yeah, 100%, man. Um, all right. Last thing, we're flipping negative and then we're going to get a little positive uh, with the Marlins, although I don't know positive might be not the right word. The negative is Wander Franco was arrested in Puerto Plata, which is North end of the Dominican Republic on Monday. His arraignment proceedings are expected to happen within the next day or so. So we should get more updates on the Wander Franco situation either by the end of Tuesday or beginning of Wednesday from Anthony Franco's write up on MLB trade rumors. I'm just going to like quote things because that's the one way like you don't, you know, opine on things like this. Quote, officials have investigated two formal allegations that Franco has had inappropriate relations with minors. A third minor has made similar claims, but did not file an official complaint. He was summoned for questioning last Wednesday. He did not report. That's what he was arrested for. He yeah. was arrested for not arriving to his summons. Based on my reading, he didn't appear because he recently changed his legal representation. So I'm assuming that his representation will cite miscommunication of some sort as to why he didn't show up. Um, but th they're obviously going to like use this to push forward with the other stuff. Yeah. Um, this sucks. And like the NBA has dirt on their hands with the Giddy situation. I don't, I'm not going to compare Wander Franco and, and the Josh Giddy situation because they're clearly different. But man, like this is terrible. And, you know, like he's, he's, he's the one guy that the Rays have ever paid. And yeah. we're looking at a situation where this dude at what, 22 years old, may yeah. never step on a baseball field again in uniform. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it it stinks for baseball. It stinks in the baseball element. But, you know, if all this is is proven true, um, they're doing the right thing, not allowing that <laughs> that guy to step on a baseball field again or, or really anywhere for, for a long time. Uh, the only thing I'll, I'll add is because this was something that I I read and you you just mentioned it, but I just wanted to, like, repeat it because it was informative to me is, you know, the headline, of course, became Wanda Franco arrested. And, you know, while I do think that ultimately there will be seems like there will be charges you know, filed against him and, and you know, he will be arraigned for those things as well. It, it wasn't the, oh, here comes like the, the crackdown. Like they just filed, you know, they just pushed all the charges forward on him. He was arrested for not showing, as you mentioned. So we're still waiting to see what kind of charges could be filed against him, what that's going to look like. And, you know, they're investigating that. But really, it, this, for the most part, doesn't give us much of a difference in terms of where we're at on the investigation of of the alleged crime so like we're still kind of wait and see there it seems like because again he was arrested for not showing to uh, basically a questioning so we're still kind of waiting for the first process and and that side of it i guess that indirectly was but he wasn't arrested for the complaints just yet he right. was arrested for not answering questions or showing up to right yeah you know, the, the questioning for that so that was that was the one part i was like i saw the headline Juan franco arrested and then reading more than i you know, was able to put that together but yeah. yeah it's just wait and see mode but i think we were we were we didn't have this update you know a couple of weeks ago when we were doing you know the raise gm episode and we're like 
we have to operate under the assumption that Wander is not available, right? And now it's we you absolutely have to operate under the assumption that Wander Franco is not available. So that is the one thing that's changed, I think, where you can feel very confident that you know th- this dude ain't playing this year uh, at, at the very least, and and this is going to take a while to even clear up one way or another. Yeah. Um, I also think the last couple of years have kind of shed light on Major League Baseball having a serious issue. The NFL, like it's been clearly documented that the NFL has an issue. And every sport really does. Every sport has an issue. Absolutely. I mean, look at what the Miles Bridges stuff is going on here. But, you know, in Major League Baseball in the last several years, it's been, you know, I'm going back to the mid 2010s, but, you know, Araldis Chapman. And, you know, you think about Marcelo Zuna and Trevor Bauer and Julio Urias, who is on the free agent market right now. There's a chance that guy doesn't throw another pitch in Major League Baseball again. And you got the Wander Franco situation going on right now. Major League Baseball needs to, like, I listen, you can't hammer down on bad people institutionally. Like, you can't just, like, make a rule that it's, hey, don't be don't be a horrible human, and people are going to stop being horrible humans. You, you've got people that are juiced up on, you know, testosterone and, and competitive nature, and, you know, this this sucks, like, there are bad people everywhere. There are bad people that play baseball. There are bad people that you know play football. There are bad people that are in politics. But it, it's clear now, I think, that Major League Baseball has a serious issue on its hands. Yeah. And and the last thing I'll say is, you know, I, I admire the hell out of Charles Barkley for asking, you know, Adam Silver. Adam Silver yeah. on the spot about what he was going to do about it. Because I think every league, this is probably one of the biggest issues they have right now. What the hell do we do about this? Like this is happening way too much. We have way too many issues. And, you know, when you have a guy like, like Miles Bridges, who, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. The last thing I'll say is I yeah. think if he averaged 13 points per game, he's probably banished from the sport right now. I don't think uh-huh. the Hornets want him involved, but since he averages closer to 20 or above 20, uh, then they're able to move the goalpost. And if that, if there's nuance to shit like this, then you've got a problem, and it seems like it's a it's a multi-sport problem. These guys should all probably put their heads together and, and, and figure out what they need to do. Yeah, there should be no nuance. If you're a piece of shit, you're a piece of shit, and there's clearly some nuance. And in, in baseball, we've seen minor leaguers get you know banned for life, and we've seen all-stars get, you know, what, Chapman got 30 games. So there yeah. can't be nuance to guys being absolute horrible humans. Let's end with the Miami Marlins, uh, kind of flipping back into a, a peppy note. Um, the Marlins, yes. their 2023 payroll was just over 100 mil at 105.4 million dollars. Right now, their estimated 2024 payroll is 108 million, and you could say, hey, like they had some guys come off the books. Yes, but Josh Bell is owed a lot of money that he wasn't owed by Miami last year. He was owed that by Cleveland last year. Um, they're still paying Avi Garcia. Notable transactions. Before we get into it, they hired Peter Bendix as the president of baseball operations after the Marlins and Kim Ang parted ways. They did decline 10.5 mil on Johnny Cueto, so they got out from under that. They exercised 3.5 mil on John Birdie. Jorge Soler declined 9 mil. They ex- or, uh, Josh Bell exercised 16.5 for himself. They non-tendered their starting catcher slash backup catcher, Jacob Stallings and Garrett Hampson, and then they turned into the Rays. They acquired Vidal Brujan and Calvin Fauché for Eric Lara, Jake Mangum, Andrew Lindsay. They purchased Christian Bethencourt from Cleveland, former Ray, and they purchased Rodery Munoz from the Pirates. Munoz is starting pitching depth, pretty much like double-A, triple-A arm. Um, that's where we stand right now. And we're going to walk through position by position. 
what do you want to warn Marlins fans about before we get into this? Last year wasn't a step in the right direction. Um, that's that's the thing I, I want to warn. Last year was a fun opportunity to, I think, enjoy some winning baseball. But unfortunately, the lack of, of steady direction, the turnover in the front office, and the fact that it's a small market team is going to force Peter Bendix and the Marlins' new front office, which I actually really like. I like the group that they have there. I actually thought adding adding Kapler to the fold there was great. I, I like the group that they have there, and I think that this is the first time where I actually somewhat believe in the Marlins' direction in terms of like we're still waiting to see what that direction will be concretely, but I have an idea. I have an inkling of what it's going to be, and it's going to suck for maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two. But I do think that there is finally something that is going to be built from the ground up instead of this shaky foundation. Oh, we, we caught lightning in a bottle. Let's try to, you know, repaint the walls and and, and get you know, hurricane proof windows and all this good stuff. But the base is about to fall apart. And, and when you look at it through this lens, but Kim Ang did a lot of good things. We focus on the big moves, right? It was great to go get Josh Bell and, and great to go get, uh, you know, a, a burger. In, in terms of burger, that really helped them, I think, to for, for the next several years. Bell was a win-now move, right? Yeah. If you look at this team, if they want to operate like the Rays, tell me when you will ever see the Rays have this many arbitration guys. You can't. Te- teams like the Rays can't operate that way. So the, the reason why being this deep into arbitration with a bunch of players is tough is it adds up real quick. And if you're the Rays or a team adjacent to, you can find, I'd say, replacement level players are slightly above or or even a little bit more than that for cheaper than what they're going to cost in Arb 3. And that's why we we hear the Rays potentially moving a Randy or Rosarena, potentially moving other guys. Like you look at the Marlins, these are all of the guys that they have that will be in either Arb 1 or 2 going into this coming season. You've got Christian Betancourt, who they acquired in ARB 2. You've got Tanner Scott in ARB 3. You've got Luis Arias in ARB 2. You've got JT Chagua in ARB 2. You've got Lizardo entering arbitration. You've got AJ Puck entering arbitration. You've got Stephen O'Kurt entering arbitration. You've got Trevor Rogers entering arbitration. You have Jazz Chisholm entering arbitration. And then you also have uh, Anthony Bender entering arbitration. Mm. Jesus Sanchez as well entering arbitration. This is important because even in ARB 1, you are now making double what yes. you were making before. At least. And if you were really good, sometimes more than that, right? Lizardo is going to make uh, estimated six mil in ARB this year. Tanner Scott in ARB three could make upwards of six mil. So that adds up. Yes, it's a great deal for, for a young controllable player. You focus on the three or four guys that you love and you're like, okay, those are our guys. But you don't want to be paying you know, a couple million dollars to AJ Puck in ARB. Yeah. You, you don't want to be paying $6 million. as good as Tanner Scott's been. You, you cannot, as a team, allocate the resources that way. That's why the Rays became geniuses at identifying th- players who throw from different arm angles and re- optimizing this unique bullpen that they were never paying ARB guys. It was never. It was always cheap, cheap guys. So they probably look at a Tanner Scott and they're like, man, that could be you know money that goes towards another position. And we'll just go find someone. Like Tanner Scott, hopefully. We might miss on a few, but we'll eventually find one. So that's where I'll lead first. But I wanted to start with, I think Kim Ang 
you know, not, with the lack of experience, was so focused on preserving her job that she didn't kind of think ahead here and think, okay, my hands are tied with the Avi Garcia contract. Um, I, I also didn't mention the fact that John Birdie pretty much, you know, they, they kind of forewent uh, arbitration, but he's another technical ARB guy at 3.6 yeah. million. And I think she didn't really think ahead and say, when all of these guys enter arbitration, the amount of money that their contracts are cumulatively going to rise is going to be basically all of the money that I had to spend on another free agent. So now with the same exact team, I just lost basically any financial flexibility that I had. And again, I also am not mentioning the fact that they have a bunch of other guys that are going to be entering ARB next year too. Yeah. Um, so like, get, get ready for that. So that's the interesting spot that the Marlins are in in a long-winded nature. Yeah, no, I shit, you're spot on. Like the the way that that adds up, I think people don't really account for it, where it's like, oh, you have all these guys under team control. Yeah, but team control is expensive for small market teams. Yep. In the back half of team control. Um, you know, we want to we want to act like, you know, getting to free agency is the holy grail. And it is the holy grail. Getting to arbitration is the first holy grail. Yeah. And guys, that's where guys' lifestyle changes. Yes. That's, that's where a guy can actually go buy buy his mom that car. And, and you know, if they're not a big signing bonus guy, like Tanner Scott going into this year, his lifestyle is going to change. The guy was making the minimum, you know, and 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 that's where it's really cool to see. But also, if if 12 guys' lifestyles are changing and the Marlins are scraping for pennies, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little tough. Yeah. Um, all right. The catching situation. Nick Fortes, Christian Bethencourt. Paul McIntosh is the third option. Are we going to get better? No. No? You want to keep it that way? Oh, well, like, oh, well, again, I'm trying to operate how I think they're going to operate. I think they got better. I think they did what they're going to do. Oh, I think they got better. Christian. Yeah. I, I mean, dude, I thought their catching tandem was arguably the worst in, in the sport. I like Nick Fortes as a backup. He's a good defensive catcher. He's one of the best blockers, you know, you got. And Benton Court now can swing it a little bit better. And, Obviously, Bendix likes him. That's why they went out and got him. And I don't think he's going to be worse than what they got from Jacob Stallings last year. So they got better in that position. That's fine. And cheaper. The the best case scenario, I, th- I think, for the Marlins would be, hey, you can move some of these pieces for maybe a catching prospect, right? Because there's minimal coming yeah. through. Um, yeah. Obviously, Yvonne Herrera is talking about Holy Grail. Like that is That's the pot at the end of the rainbow. Like You would love to go acquire Yvonne Herrera. It doesn't seem like he'll be available. Other names that jumped to my mind were Brian Lavastida and Dylan Dingler. Like, would you have interest in either of those guys? Yeah, I think that I would. I think the Tigers are probably going to hold on to him, and he's a forty man guy. So, you know, it would be they'd have to get creative there, but they could swap forty guy for forty guy. Yeah, um, I would love that. I just, I think they're going to focus elsewhere because again, it's it's you think about what Peter Bendix has done with the Rays. They never go get that impactful catcher. It's another asset. I think that they feel as though. When you go out and get it, a catcher, you're often going to pay more than the market value, um, whether it be financially or or in a trade. So, uh, and and in turn, most of those guys don't translate as prospects, you know, the way that you know some other positions do. Got you. Uh, first base, Josh Bell, arise. Um, Troy Johnston is backup plan. You're good with it. <clears throat> Fantastic. Second base, arise. Vidal Bruhan and Xavier Edwards. Fine with it. I think fantastic the if the, the latter two are fucking playing second, not shortstop. All right. So shortstop, your options are John Birdie, Fidel Bruhan, Xavier Edwards, Tristan Gray, and Jacob Amaya. Tristan Gray was an awesome minor league free agent signing. Y- you don't want any of those guys being an everyday shortstop. So what shortstop are you going to go get? 
Okay, answer this for me. It, is there a worse shortstop situation in the sport? Uh now that the Bra or now that the Red Sox have a healthy story, no. Like the Yu Chang Pablo Reyes Bobby Dahlbeck thing was way worse. Yeah, that was that was worse. That was real bad. I don't know if there's another one this bad. What are the Angels? Oh, Neto. No, that's bad. No. Yeah. I, there is not a worse shortstop situation in the entire sport. I, there isn't. They're just you could look at the the Giants, but again, I'd I'd rather take a flyer on Marco Luciano and yeah. throw Casey Schmidt out there even than than Xavier Edwards and just because I don't don't think that he can do it defensively. I think the bat could be fun contact wise, but you know it's obviously just a work in progress. Like I don't and I don't know how much progress there's going to be defensively. <laughs> I, I'm going to be like this is my longest GM episode. I'm going to try to keep it short. So just rein me in here, Jack. Yeah, you're but, good. I am going to say I am going to say uh, Oakland, like. They're supposed to start Daryl or Nias right now, I, dude. I would, I would no start Nias over any of these guys. Really, over Birdie? I swear to you, I swear to you. Because uh, Xavier Edwards uh, apparently had been dealing with some arm issues, like getting that healthy, trying to throw it. We'll see how it looks. If he can throw better now, then it's a different story. But his arm is far too inaccurate and far too short to play shortstop. Then Vidal Bruhan, I don't think is a great defender. He's at a great winter league, but Arnaya is like. He's young. He was swapped in that Cole Irvin deal from, from the Orioles. He can put bat on ball. He's fast. He I like the defense on like more than the other two here. And he hasn't really failed like Bruhan has. And and I think again, you can actually play the position a little bit better than Xavier Edwards. I'd probably give her an eye as a nod. But like regardless, the thing that frustrates me the most, and, and I think another reason why the Marlins had to kind of clean house here is you know, Kim Ang wanted to retain. Uh, reportedly wanted to retain uh, their, their head of drafting and DJ Savilic. Yeah. And I mean, just look at what they've done. Dude. If they didn't just whiff over the last few, four years, they're probably in a much better situation right now. And Brooks Lee could be that shortstop. So, yeah, I don't want to digress too far, but I, I, you got to make a trade. I don't think they do, but like who out there is going to give you a shortstop prospect for one of your pitchers or or a reliever like that's that's my thing or or a young shortstop like who's going to give you a shortstop really in, in exchange for Edward Cabrera or Tanner Scott because those are when we get to the rotation in the bullpen those are the two names that I would prefer to move and I'll and I'll make my my case why yeah do you think there's a world where the Pirates think about giving you Lee over Piguero? no I don't know maybe like maybe I guess but why would they you know they might as well see it through he's young yeah He's talented. Um, you know, I'm done talking about the Orioles. They're never going to do anything. Yeah. They're just going to keep winning Norfolk, you know, triple A championships. And that's all they care about. Right. Um, the Giants make sense. Like, but if you go out and get a Casey Schmidt, who I love as a person, and I do think he's a good player. How much of a guaranteed upgrade is that over what you've got? I, I do think he's better, but that's not worth, you know, parting with an asset. The, the obvious, obvious, obvious answer to me is Ezekiel Duran. But I feel like the Rangers may be hesitant to to part with Duran. Uh, and, and and that's where it's tough. That might be the trade I try to force forward here because I think it makes the most sense. And and that's a win-now team that would put a lot of stock in a, in a Tanner Scott. You know, I don't know if they've been tied to Josh Hader, and I'm not comparing Tanner Scott to Josh Hader. But if you if you have to deal with Josh Hader – who you know won't pitch back to back days? Who won't go you know more than three outs? And also wants an Edwin Diaz deal, or you can get Tanner Scott, you know, at five point eight six million. 
you're going to take that every day of the week. And the Marlins, look, Tanner Scott's by far their best lefty, but they also have Andrew Nardi. They also have A.J. Puck. They also have Stephen O'Kurt. All of those guys were really useful for them last year. Puck, you know, up and down, but still very useful. I think you can part with a Tanner Scott here. And, and you got to look at what teams can, you know, would have interest in a reliever that's kind of far along in the control. It's got to be Ezekiel Duran. Um, and, and I'm not sure if there's any, any other team that really matches up that well unless you go look at the Yankees with a Peraza um, or, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, Peraza is like kind of the big ticket one. The the two teams that I kind of went to were Arizona and Cleveland. Does Arizona want to clear the runway for Lawler and move Perdomo? Like Perdomo clearly provided a ton of value for Arizona. I just don't know. Maybe they're looking at Geraldo Perdomo internally and saying, we, we got as much out of Perdomo as we possibly could. Or maybe Baltimore is looking at Jorge Mateo as that kind of guy. Like, we got as much out of Mateo as we possibly could. And I know Mateo has offensive struggles. Hell, I know Perdomo has offensive struggles. Mateo is a platinum glove level shortstop. Perdomo, like, clearly can be an everyday shortstop. He was an all-star last year. A good one? Eh. But an everyday shortstop? Yeah, I think so. The other one is Cleveland. Like, Gabriel Arias is getting phased out. Are they ever going to give Rocchio a fair shot? Tyler Freeman, like that guy's a big leaguer, it seems. Um, Angel Martinez, do you do you buy low on that guy? How about Juan Brito? Do you think I love Brito? Hunter prospect. Yeah, yeah, they're in an interesting spot too. Um, and do they have an interest in an Edward Cabrera or, or one of those types of guys? Maybe they wouldn't have interest in Scott as much. No. Um, I think those are all great options, and I just but think like Arizona that- could have interest in Tanner Scott, and they could see Geraldo Perdomo as the price. They could. They they could also see, you know, I think Perdomo as the insurance policy if Lawler isn't ready. Lawler did kind of look a little overmatched at times last year. I love him. I think, you know, you love him more than anybody. And I think he's going to be great, but he, he might have some growing pains next year. Very young. And if that's the case, then you know they need a shortstop. So I think they end up saying, hey, we, we got to stick with at least the safe option in Perdomo. I think you push, you push it forward. I think those are all great options, but most likely to to work. I'm looking at the Rangers' financial situation, and you know, yes, they're they're not you know crying poor, but you know, at some point they're going to have to look at the financial situation and say, okay, maybe we can't be in on on a top reliever. And if you're not, I do think they need a high leverage lefty. Brock Burke, like, kind of hit a wall, right? I mean, you don't really have any other lefty in that bullpen. Um, I mean, what is it, Jake Latz? And I, I don't know anything about him. Um, they need another high leverage arm. It's it's Leclerc, it's Spores, it's Kirby Yates, and then who? And all of those are righties. Tanner Scott going the other way. Duran's kind of blocked slash like super utility for them right now. Do the what do the, do the Marlins have to add anything on top to to, to get an Ezekiel Duran? I think they. I'd imagine a little a, bit. They add like a high A guy. I I see that as you know flyer. I, not flyer because I, I do think you need to add like a high A regular. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go to the roster resource and, and pluck somebody for you. And it, this is, you know, like totally off the cuff, but like, could you part with a, a Cody Morissette type like Tanner Scott and Cody Morissette for, yeah, you would do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. For Duran. I think that yeah. gets it done. Yeah. That's fine with me. Okay, Cool. There it is. Ezekiel Duran. You are a Miami Marlin. Um, third base, Jake Berger. Good with it. Outfield, Jazz, Brian De La Cruz, Jesus Sanchez. You still got to fucking pay Avi Garcia. 
Peyton Burdick, Dane Myers, Victor Mesa Jr., Griffin Kona. Like, there are options there. I think they just run out what they have. Yes, I always throw Griffin Conine in there. I love always. it. No, I would say I, I hope I hope that the team loses 100 games. I hope they, they fire sale everybody. And they're going to have the promo in September, like Mr. Marlon Jr. makes his debut. Um, that, that's what I'm that's what I'm gearing up for this year. That's a, that's my only agenda in this GM yeah. episode is get Griffin Conine in right in September of 2024. This should be the first year run for Victor Mesa Jr. though. Yeah, I'm excited to see what what where they where they go with him because I still think he's probably one of their most talented young outfielders. But yeah, when you look at the outfield situation, I think Sanchez could be moved because he's a guy that's going to be entering ARB. He's coming off a really good year, uh, relatively speaking. Could be a platoon bat, but let's keep him just for the sake of like, sure. hey, the Marlins should go out there and try to be fairly competitive. And I also think Brian De La Cruz is not an everyday outfielder. I think he's a platoon bat. So I, this is where I'd like to go sign somebody. I sure. would. And I think they will sign somebody, like a human. I don't think Peyton Burdick can hit at the big league level. Um who's out there for less than 10 million AAV that we can go get in the outfield? Um, Less than 10. Might I throw you? Because the, the interesting thing is when you trade a Tanner Scott here, and that's why I love the move is I, I love Tanner Scott. He's one of my favorite like players that the Marlins have had in a little bit, but you clear up about 5 million yeah. to go allocate towards an outfielder in addition to answering your shortstop problem. So I would add more prospects. If, if, if even if it's an overpay in a vacuum, I'd do it in two seconds because clear up some more cash. Do it. Yeah. Is Aaron Hicks less than ten mil? Oh God. Yes. I mean, you that's say, not oh God, worst. but like, no. Nah, I mean, is Will Myers less than ten mil? He can't play the outfield anymore, unfortunately. I don't think. But yes, is I mean, like a Jankowski. Jankowski's like. I think that's not a bad fit because Jankowski's probably going to want to play ball, right? Like he's not going to want to be a fourth outfielder somewhere else. Like he just did that at, on on a World Series team. Like he got it, right? I, I don't hate the Jankowski move. Um, it just that's so Marlins, honestly. Um, Which is why it probably works. Bader. Yeah. Do you want like aims another, higher? Do you want another righty hitter like Jankowski? is a left-handed bat. That's my thing. Like if, if Brian De La Cruz is a right-handed bat, that is a platoon hitter. Don't you want a lefty? Yeah. He's, he's spelling the, the left-handed at bats from, from uh, Sanchez who legitimately can't face a lefty. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess you'd go with Travis Jankowski. Okay. Michael A. Taylor, South Florida kid, but you know, his value comes from the glove. And if you're putting jazz in center, then that's that. So, yeah, Travis Jankowski. Welcome to the squad. Wow, how about it, man? One homer last year in 287 plate appearances. Good stuff. Yeah, really exciting. Um, rotation, Lizardo, Yuri, Braxton Garrett, Cabrera, Trevor Rogers. You got Max Meyer coming off the shelf. It'll be interesting. Weathers, Brian Hoeing did a decent job as a fill-in too. Sandy's out the entire year. You probably subtract one of these in a trade, right, Cabrera? That would be criminal if they moved Lizardo. Criminal. I the think more I've that, thought about it, the more I've sat on it. I'm like, that would be so dumb for them to move I Lizardo. I get it. I get it from a business standpoint because, you know, he's further along in ARB. He's coming off of a phenomenal year and, and you know, in a market where people don't want to spend what they're going to have to spend to go get somebody. Like, Imanaga is going to cost you 100 mil. Yeah. Go get a Lizardo and you don't have to owe him much at all. 
it's criminal because look, I know that you know the Rays have never operated with feelings, and that's how that's how you know ultimately Bruce Sherman wants to operate. Lizardo is a hometown kid. Lizardo is one of the best. Him and Sandy are two of the best faces of this franchise in terms of engaging with the community, going out and doing things. Lizardo is a diehard South Florida sports fan. He yeah. is at every other sporting event, um, always like taking the opportunity to be like the Marlins representative. He does local camps. He does all these different things. He grew up a Marlins fan. 954, which is the area code of my phone number. That's on his glove. Like it, this guy is begging to stay in New York, in Florida, as far as I, as I see it, you know, in terms of obviously he's going to go get his money wherever he can get his money as anybody should. But yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if Wizardo, and this is based on nothing, but I wouldn't be shocked if he was willing to take a little less with no with no state tax and be able to stay home close to his family. The dude still lives in Parkland where he went to high school, where he grew up, where his family is, where his friends are. Like That's important to him. And I don't think it's a coincidence that since he came to South Florida, he's turned into the pitcher that we always thought he could be. So, you know, again, I know that's that's the nuance that sometimes gets thrown to the wayside when you have to operate like a small market team. But shit, man, extend Lazardo. It's not going to cost you anything crazy. Backload it. Who cares? You can trade him later if you really want when he's established and, and 30. Yeah. But that, like, I understand he brings you in the biggest haul. But if you can go get your starting shortstop with it, with a Tanner Scott and add a little bit more, and then go trade a, an Edward Cabrera to, to refill the, the farm system up a little bit, don't move Lazardo. That's your de facto ace this coming year. I know people love Yuri, but big game. I'm, I'm giving the ball to Lazardo. And Lizardo, Yuri, Braxton, I still think Trevor Rogers, like that's a name that people probably want to float. I don't trade him because one, one million dollars. Two, he's good, man. He just has not been healthy. I do think he can bounce back and at the very least be a low fours guy. And giving and Meyer is a five, dude. I think Meyer's better than Edward Cabrera in terms of if you go over the course of an entire season, like I think Edward's gonna have better blips. Meyer over the course of an entire season, I think is I know he's coming off TJ, but more likely to stay healthy. I think more likely to throw strikes and not have blow up outings. Yeah. Just more innings, lower ERA, sign me up. I think Meyer's going to be ready to go. He's already adjusting his pitch mix. He's working on some things to, to be able to make the fastball better. Ship Edward out of town, man. I, I know what he can be. We've yeah. known what he can be for a while. And I don't know if he can be that for two reasons. When you have the command compounding the injury concern, I, I'm good. Like, cash in. There's a lot of teams that it's worth a shot for them. But I think for the Marlins, this is a spot to go get some prospects. Name a team, dude. I'll take any prospects in return. I know that the Marlins had, have had deals on the table, you know, going back to last year, you know, potentially with the Red Sox for Trevor Rogers. I know that they've discussed Edward Cabrera with the Red Sox in the past. Um, that seems to make some sense now as the Red Sox maybe seek another arm. Um, is the, is like an Edward Cabrera swap for a couple prospects, but I, I just don't, I don't know what, I don't know what his value is. I have no freaking clue. Is is Rafaela the price? Because that takes care of the shortstop position. I think Rafaela would be an overpay. I think Rafaela would be an overpay for Cabrera. Rafaela would be a, a, a good move for for Rogers, which you know, I think is it was vaguely something along the lines of what could have been on the table, um, you know, in the past. And I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to move Rogers just yet because you could get a haul for him, even if he's a low fours guy with the years of control that he has at twenty six years old. Last year was a lost year for him. It was his non throwing arm that he ended up you know, wiping him out for the rest of the season. Yeah. So I think George Soriano can be stretched out too. By the way, that guy threw phenomenally down the stretch. Sinker baller, heavy stuff, good throw strikes. I'd rather see him thrown into the rotation and and move Edward Cabrera for some prospects if Meyer isn't ready. So 
I would I would dump Edward for prospects. Do we even have to say what the exact trade is, or do we no. just say we dumped him for prospects? Like dumped I him for prospects. I'll just trust. I'll, I would pick two prospects that I like. You know, just just trust me on that. I guess, and I trust Peter Bendix on that. I will say. Yeah, and if you do subtract Tanner Scott, I think you have a closer in waiting in Anthony Maldonado. And if Maldonado is not on the opening day roster, I think I might riot. Like this guy is so ridiculously ready. He's so ready. His slider's disgusting. I mean, he's ready to go. And Nardi, too. Like, Nardi, I trust Nardi in high leverage. That guy, they threw him in miserable. He'd be in yeah. bases loaded, nobody out every time. Every yeah. single time. Oh, we're in a, we're in a jam. Nardi, come on. Like, I, I think he's fine. I think I think the difference between Kirkering and Maldonado is not big. Uh-huh. I, I don't disagree. Like, I do think Maldonado can be there. And then don't forget, Anthony Bender, like, he was really good in 21 and 22. Mm-hmm. He was out with uh, Tommy John surgery. He'll be back next year. Like he is really good stuff. So that's another high leverage arm. I'd move Scott in a second. So you, okay. you go at your shortstop, you dump Cabrera for some prospects to replenish the farm. You use that a little bit of the savings to go, whatever, go get Jankowski. I think you could aim maybe a little bit higher, but yeah. um, maybe a Kyle Lewis. Um, sure. I think Lewis fits in really well with them. And, and yeah, I, I would like to see them go get a Lewis too. But that's that's probably that's probably about it. Like, would you rather have Randall Grichuk or Jankowski? Jankowski. Okay, so we'll go Jankowski, Kyle Lewis. Okay, nice. Um, and then we dump Edward for prospects. Yeah, and we trade Scott for. Do we want to do Perdomo? Do no, to... I like I like the Duran because oh, I think Durant, the Rangers sorry. really yeah, need right. him. Duran. Okay. Uh, all right. So the team that we have constructed now: uh, Nick Fortes, Christian Bethencourt are the catchers. Josh Bell. You know, Arise, Troy Johnston are the first baseman. Arise, Vidal, Brujan, Xavier Edwards are at second. You've got Ezekiel Duran at shortstop with Birdie as backup. You've got Brujan and Edwards to play with as well. Jake Berger at third. Duran can be his backup. The outfield, Jazz, Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, Travis Jankowski, um, or or Kyle Lewis, one of the two. Um, then the rotation would be Lazardo, Yuri Perez, Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers, Max Meyer. And the bullpen would be Andrew Nardi, AJ Puck, Chagua, Bender, Soriano. If Soriano's not starting some games, um, Anthony Maldonado, Brazavon, like you got options. Yeah. That's a team that's cheaper and it's better. Yeah. And I'll say the, the thing I'd try to do in the Rangers deal is <clears throat> ship them Peyton Burdick. You know, I think that you could be a, a emergency yeah, outfielder there. This great power bat that we love that we're willing to it, it, throw in. You'll love them in the PCL. Um, they, they, they don't really have any any outfielders at the AAA level. You know, of course, they're going to have Wyatt Langford, but I think he makes the ball club. And you know, yeah. they've got a, it's four, three non-roster invitees projected in the AAA outfield. So go take Burdick. Maybe you can fix him, help him hit some more. You know, make some more contact. Um, and then the Marlins fill that spot with Kyle Lewis. Done. Big fan. Big fan. All right, we've already kept you for a little over an hour. So uh, thank you guys very much. We'll be back with Walker Buehler tomorrow um, and some New Year's resolutions from Arm and Peter, which will be uh, exciting, I do yes. think. Every link you need is in the episode description. And uh, Happy New Year, folks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.